I just think the, the, the basic premise of Bitcoin just doesn't sit right for me. Uh, there's no there's no taking away from, you know, the, the kind of evolution in terms of the mainstream demand for it. It's here to stay. But the very principles, the fact that you can't value this thing. Well, I, I don't think you can value this thing. It's purely driven by, you know, market sentiment, you know, either fear or greed. And for me, that's always a, a risky bet to be taking. You know, basic behaviour is, is encoded generation after generation after generation. So the way we learn as organic beings is that experience that we learn, if we don't get wiped out, you know, is encoded in our DNA. And that's passed on to the next one who learns and then encodes that. You can't replicate that with AI at the moment. And AI potentially is just that next evolution of our own self-imposed, like, hubris, right? It's like, if we, if we leave it long enough, AI will solve the climate problem, right? AI will solve the financial crisis. AI will solve poverty, right? No. You know I mean, it won't. You know, people will solve people problems, right? With the help of tools like this. We need to find, like, like meaning and happiness within ourselves, you know, in order to counteract the pressures of, of modern living. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. And on this week's episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Mark Stanton-Bennett. Mark is the Chief Technology Officer of Connected and the co-founder of Kiln. Mark, thank you so much for joining. Pleasure. So I'm going to put myself out on a limb here, okay? This this podcast probably comes out in about five weeks okay. time, okay? So um, Bitcoin's been on an unprecedented <laughs> bull run over the last five weeks yeah. uh, after me advising everyone to, to go and buy. Yeah. Um, but you are still sceptical. I am sceptical. Yeah, I, I just think the, the, the basic premise of Bitcoin just doesn't sit right for me. Uh, there's, no, there's no taking away from, you know, the, the kind of evolution in terms of the mainstream demand for it. It's here to stay. But the very principles, the fact that you can't value this thing. Mm. Well, I, I don't think you can value this thing. It's purely driven by, you know, market sentiment, you know, either fear or greed. And for me, that's always a, a risky bet to be taking. For every person that makes money, there's going to be people that lose money on this thing. And mm. I, the other second thing about it is, is, you know, predominantly the majority of Bitcoin is owned by very few people. And again, that from a, coming from the background I come from, mm. you know, those things just don't sit right with me. Mm. You know, too much power concentrated in the hands of a few. We know how that ends up. Right. What do you mean? That's always worked perfectly before. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so they just, you know, it's, I just, it, for me, it just doesn't work on a mm. number of levels. In terms of like the underlying technology, though, you know, it's like I'm, I'm bullish. I'm, mm. I'm bullish on Bitcoin. I'm bullish on digitization. I'm bullish on, you know, tokenization, real world assets. I think some great use cases for that. You know, and other cryptocurrencies as well. Uh, stable coins, I'm a big fan of. I think there's a mechanism there to do some real, really interesting stuff around, mm. you know, democratizing certain let's say, walled, you know, uh, institutions and sectors for sure. You know, money transfers, you know, is a, is a good example. You know, high fees, you know, I think, you know, stablecoin potentially, you know, leads the way to really reducing and democratising, you know, access to money and capital mm. for people that haven't had that before. And do you think that the, you know, inevitable um, risks and failures and, and people losing a lot of money um, that will come with people investing in this as an asset, um will threaten the potential usage of the technology i think it already has right we saw in the crypto winter like you know let's, let's you know it's been banded about so much but you know that kind of negative sentiment that's been generated because of the crypto fallout has really undermined you know like the work that some amazing people are doing in that space you know on, on the tech underlying technologies of blockchain you know effectively it's set it back years mm. yeah. and do you think the 
overinflated value of some markets um, attributed to crypto. And for example, let's say the NFT market, right? The art yeah. market was never yeah. that big. Um, do you think those things will have done irrevocable damage? I don't think it's irrevocable. I don't think anything's irrevocable. You know, everything recovers, right? It's okay. uh, there's a natural evolution to it. We cu everything comes in cycles. I mean, you, you you could apply this to any financial instrument. You know, you look at like uh, what you know what was the first first uh, like commodity like tulip bulbs, mm -hmm. right? There was wars over that stuff. Absolutely, us right? in the Netherlands. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, so you know, there's, there's two, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's probably many more as well. <laughs> but it's like you know, you kind of like you know, in terms of all of these types of instruments, is there's an evolution in financial markets, and Bitcoin is a, is a, is you know is a step in that evolution. You know, it's just Bitcoin itself, the way it stands right now. It's like it's just just I mean, personally, like you know, I'm, and I'm. You know, more than happy, you know, to discuss and, and have debate and, you know, and there's people that kind of, you know, would have a completely contrary view to me. And that's fine also, right? So, but I think as long as that debate is happening and, and people are being transparent and we're putting that stuff on the table, then, you know, there's, there's potential to kind of maybe, you know, come up with some solutions for the shortcomings, right? Mm. Just in my view, Yeah. You know? Again, you know, I'm much more of a, a fan of Ethereum, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, again, I just like the mechanism around that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the kind of, ability to take money out now so you can stake and take money out it's a big step forward and actually yeah. kind of you know um sort of making that a, a kind of grown-up uh currency effectively mm. or grown-up approach to digital currency yeah mm. and with your background in algorithmic trading yeah um what what do you think is the big difference what prevents you being excited by bitcoin as an investable asset versus other asset classes that you were involved with well, again, I think the inherent risk. I, I mean, for me, I just I struggle. I struggle to be able to kind of analyze the risk associated with Bitcoin. Right. And there's a lot of people out there, you know, apparently successfully trading this thing mm. and using oh, yeah. using standard methodologies to do it. You know, technical analysis. But it's like when I look at it, it's like I find it. I just find it you know, very difficult to kind of decide where where do I start in terms of like trying to value this thing. If I can't value it, then it's like well. I can't really start to sort of try and work out to predict what it might or might not do, mm. you know, and, you know, nothing's written in stone, but I think it's, it is very, very much an instrument that's sentiment driven. Mm. Well, that's it. And the thing is, you know, you see so many massive spikes or dips yeah. off the back. Of, and, and you can see there's a lot of market manipulation in this in terms of people wanting to, people who are probably shorting Bitcoin, managing to get things in the press of, you know, China's about to block Bitcoin, yeah. Bitcoin, all these things. And you can see there is massive day trading activity based around that sentiment, which does make it quite unstable. But still, nonetheless, five weeks of bull run. Yeah, and then the <laughs> other thing, I mean, let's be honest about it, you know, that, you know, like Bitcoin's not unique in mm. that. Again, historically, you know, people have manipulated markets for their own gain. Right, I mean, just you know, I'm not going to name names, but you know, there's de you know, there's definitely people out there who will be running a certain position and will do exactly the same thing on on any other asset class too, right? They'll try and drip feed news that either supports you know supports the position that they're running, either long or short, right? So Bitcoin's not unique in people wanting to move the market in their favour. Mm. For me, it's just that inherent inability to kind of work out where is the true price of this thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, we can take off uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> From from the from the, the, the buzzword bingo that we're playing today. <laughs> buzzword bingo. You know the next one I'm going to. Well, let's try AI. Absolutely, <laughs> that's it. Okay, so we uh, this time last year we were in Palo Alto actually. Yeah. And uh, we we're having lots of very interesting conversations around AI. And yep. Obviously, in the 12 months since then, I mean, we couldn't have predicted how much the groundswell would have been yep. towards AI, generative AI. Mm -hmm. um, challenges threats you're also a bit skeptical on ai in terms of the in terms of the level of 
I guess in terms of the quality of it at this point, yeah, and the perceived applications of it um, in the mind of the public are yeah. probably very far off from actually where it is right now. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 how how quickly until this does become what people think it is? Well, what do people think it's going to be? I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, mm. I mean, it's like everyone's got their version of you know, like their vision, if you like, of what AI will become. And if we're talking about like true sentience. Yeah, you know I mean the capability, the capability to think and behave like a human being. I think we're a long way off. Mm. And the more I read about the, like the physiology and the biology of human beings and how we've evolved, and actually not just human beings, any any single or multi, you know, multi-cell uh, kind of species. It's like, you know, when you look at that stuff and you look at it, how it's constructed and how it's evolved, you know, it's like, because you know, basic behaviour. Is, is encoded generation after generation after generation. So the way we learn mm -hmm. as organic beings is that experience that we learn, if we don't get wiped out, you know, is encoded mm. in our DNA. And that's passed on to the next one who learns and then encodes that. You can't replicate that with AI at the moment. Right? You can't replicate that experience. You can't, you can't replicate that, that feeling, that thought, that organic you know, kind of mechanism that we use for recall, the way we can associate you know, memories with just not just by kind of image recall, but it's like smells mm. and kind of and, and feeling and and kind of temperature. And you, ju you just can't replicate that at the moment within, within a kind of, if you like, a binary model, which mm. is what it boils down to, right? Mm. We don't have an organic, not that I'm aware of, we don't have a, you know, a fully working organic computer right now. Mm. So I know people are using, it's almost like the wrong tool for the job. It's like you're using software to try and replicate that has a, you know, an organic element to it, right? No one really, really understands what's going on in the brain. We're far, far, far removed from understanding what goes on in the brain. It's so powerful and so complex. So you might have things which are far more efficient than humans in yeah. calculating many, many yeah, things. Yeah, of course. But recreating sentience is not within our capabilities yet. I don't think we're there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people in Silicon Valley who would like to disagree with me. You know, but I just, I just think just the very complexity of organic life it, it, it's just i think it's just we're far we're a long way off replicating that via mm. code effectively mm. so one of the conversations we did have in Palo Alto <laughs> last year was if we believe that on a long enough time horizon yeah. it is possible yeah therefore is it not probable that we are already that oh, we yeah, are already yeah. a recreation right yeah i mean you know we we've talked about this haven't we yeah. and uh, you know i think um are we living in a very, very sophisticated simulation? It's like, yeah, maybe. Doesn't make much difference though, right? Doesn't make much difference. Yeah. Absolutely not. You know, and uh, if, if it is, then I'm really, really happy. Whoever did it mm. did a really good job. They're on a great job. Because I'm having a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. A couple glitches still. You know, a few things <laughs> they, they could have done. Lazy coding. As you a call bit it. of lazy yeah. coding, exactly A bit that. of lazy coding, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's sort of, um, you know, I think the, the, the sort of, the power or the potential power for good, you know, that this type of technology brings to the world is just is immense. But, you know, and as, as again, with, you know, you look at human history and there'll be people that will misuse it. Right? It's mm. as simple as that. So, yeah, I think uh, yesterday you have the uh, CEO of DeepMind mm. come out, say, you know, regulate us, please. You've seen Sam Altman do the same for yeah, OpenAI. Yeah. Um, obviously, far departure from crypto, which is saying, please don't regulate us, move away from us. Yeah. So why are these people so worried? Why are these people so um, forthcoming with their, you know, desire to become regulated and controlled and, and to slow down? Yeah. Well, I think because of the because of the potential impacts on on, you know, 
on the world around us you know the, the the ability to kind of use this technology for good or bad you know i think you know the technology is at a stage where um it does have immense power and and the potential to affect you know so very sort of social fabric of of kind of you know like the way human beings live and um so I think you know what they're asking for, and I mean the cynic in me says you know what they're asking for is is to is is to be regulated so that they can carry on making money. I mean mm. you know it's sort of like give us some boundaries, you know, rather than waiting for someone to really have a crackdown, mm. you know, and that restricts what they want to do from a commercial perspective. But that, that's just the cynic in me. But also, it's probably know, a big part of that. Yeah, but maybe maybe these guys are are close enough to technology that they understand better than I probably better than you and I like exactly what, better than where the capabilities are right now and it maybe mm. maybe it does scare them a little because mm. I think there's there's two parts here right there's the idea of AI as achieving sentience yeah. but you don't need it to be sen- no. sentient for it to do some real damage no absolutely not and I, and I think you know if you talk about like AI as an evolution you know why are we even talking about like the end game being you know replication of human sentience maybe AI becomes an evolution mm you know, in terms of a, a, a being mm. with its own constraints itself, mm. right? Because we we, that's where we're kind of moving to right now, right? It's like, so maybe it's not replacing humans. Maybe it's, it's, it becomes a... Improving on them. Well, improving on them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evolu- evolutionary path itself, right? Mm. So maybe it's a new type of being, right? That would, we'd have to learn to coexist with. Mm. And what do you think the... I mean, it's a scary thought, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a scary thought because uh, for sure they are going to replace us in most jobs then if, if that is the case, if it's, you know, peaceful coexistence we're looking for. What, uh, maybe this is going slightly outside of your expertise, but yeah. let's ask the question. From a governmental perspective then, if we fast forward 10, 15 years, yeah. we had a really interesting conversation with a, uh, a founder recently who is the um, creator of the fiber bottle and the uh, co-founder of an eco-packaging company. They are selling 1.2 billion um, non-plastic products a yeah. year to some of the biggest um, uh, uh, sort of consumer goods manufacturers in the world. And when he painted a picture of where we are in 15 years' time, if we don't stand up to the plastic challenge, yeah. it's a pretty scary picture. Yeah. It's kind of stuff. 15 years' time, if we don't stand up to the AI challenge, if we have not put things in place to... Not hamper the progress, but at least you know taper it to a point where humanity can catch up to integration, etc. What, what do you think the world looks like if we don't control it in this way? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's difficult to kind of predict what the out, like the outcomes could be, depending on the sort of rate of development of the AI and the applications that it's used for, and you know, and what the constraints are around it. I think it just take what we need is is just common sense and a measured approach. You know, that that what we what we're developing, we understand it. I think that's first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I think you know, for me, it's sort of, I think there's still a lot of black box out there, right? And so we need to fully understand, you know, what what the capabilities are. You know and what those impacts and threats are, and I think it, it just you know I think self-regulation is you know is a good, really good starting point. Mm. But I think also like what we need from the big tech companies that are leading this is is you know is true t- transparency, mm. you know, because otherwise people just fill in the gaps. Yeah, right. People make their own mind up. Yeah, you know what, what does I I don't see a doomsday. I generally don't. I'm I'm I'm, I'm an optimist by by default. You know I don't see a, a Terminator doomsday yeah. scenario in you know ten to fifteen years. It's a shame because we'd get some great movies. We would get some great movies. That, yeah. yeah, and then you know me running around in in combats. You know <laughs> like uh, being chased down by some uh, flying metallic uh, 
a spaceship would be quite interesting, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, it's it's you know where where we'll be with it in fifteen years. I, I I hope we've kind of harnessed it. You know, like I say, f for good. You mm -hmm. know, and I think the, the thing about AI actually, like, and the thing about just 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 I think like the general like response to technology by modern society. I think actually the dangerous thing is not the technology itself. I think it's our it's our response to that technology in terms of our own sort of like hubris around mm. technology. So it's like instead of like doing the right thing, let's let's just take planet Earth, right? Let's just take the the, the the sort of the impact and destruction that we're having on the natural world around us, right? Which actually, let's be honest about it, no one can deny, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just be honest about yeah, it, right? We're destroying the world, you know. Human beings are responsible for for major mass extinction events, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and and a lot of that, you know, is kind of today is driven by that this idea that it's not my problem, right? Technology will save us from ourselves at some point, mm -hmm. right? And an AI potentially is just that next evolution of our own self-imposed like hubris, right? It's mm -hmm. like if we if we leave it long enough, AI will solve the climate problem, mm -hmm. right? AI will solve the financial crisis ai will solve poverty right no mm. yeah i mean it won't yeah you know people will solve people problems right with the help of tools like this mm. so maybe you can use ai to identify where you know more efficiently where you need to put aid where you need to build water pumps where you need to you know great amazing that's exactly what it should be used for but if we all sit on our hands and just assume that the next technology is going to save us we're on a very, very dangerous path. Yeah, and, but, but I think this is nothing new for humanity, no. right? In the same way that you have people who smoke 20 cigarettes a day yeah. and then they're, well, the NHS will save me, whatever it might be, yeah. or, you know, have terrible diets or you know, smoke vapes. I smoke vapes, so yeah. I count myself as part of this. But it's a self-destructive tendency yeah. that we have on a micro level yeah. and therefore we have on a macro level as well. And where do you think that self-destruction tendency comes from? Because if you think think about the reverse of what I've just described, mm. like, you know, the, the sort of living in, in modern society, I think is quite alien to how we were designed and programmed in the first place. For right? sure. Which is why I think that is a reaction to that, mm. right? And so it's like, so maybe the solution is, you know, like trying to get back, you know, to being more integrated with the world around us instead mm. of fighting it. Yeah, right. absolutely. Because I think what you had in a uh, you know pre-modern era, let's yeah. say, is ultimate accountability mm. for your own life. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you didn't eat, you didn't kill, you didn't. Yeah. You, you died. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas psychologically now we have to contend with, oh, I don't need to do anything. No. Therefore, what am I going to do? And then, so a lot of this, a lot of these issues, I think, which you alluded to, it comes from that. We still have that self-defense mechanism, that mm. fight-or-flight mechanism, <coughs> and trouble is it's being used for the wrong purpose, right? Mm. Because there is no threat, right? There is no threat, but we're looking for threats, mm. you know? Mm. You know the, what's the probability of kind of, I don't know, being killed by someone in the street? And it's still very low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, of course. As opposed to, you know, not having enough food to eat and starving. Like yes. That's why meditation. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, that's why meditation and shrinking your amygdala is important. Yeah, absolutely. Reduce yeah. the fight and flight mechanism. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So um let, let's let's continue on that route. Um yeah. to self-destructive behavior, uh leading to the destruction of the planet. Um how much has the instant gratification and convenience of modern technology. Now, it's different for, for myself and for yourself. We didn't grow up with the mm. level of convenience that we have yeah. now. 
Um, I'm probably the last generation that can say that. I think, yeah. uh, not quite. I mean, MSN, which changed the way that I interact with my friends, I started using when I was probably nine, ten years old. Mm -hmm. Ultimate convenience, Deliveroo, everything else, Uber, a bit later than that. Yeah. Um, but considering, as you said, behavior is hard coded into DNA. What can be done? And you've got kids. Yeah. You know what can be done to you know peel away that that reliance, that instant gratification, that convenience, which ultimately has harmful impacts yeah. on the way we interact with the world around us. What can be done to, to reverse that or control that? I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's maybe taking a step back down from that, actually, which is, you know, I, again, you know, I'm not a naysayer. You know, I think, you know, social media, again, has positives, but also, has a, you know, is obviously having a very negative effect as well on some people. And um, I think sort of stepping back, and for me, stepping back means like being aware of, of you know, these kind of comforts or these things that we, you know, that we rely upon today without even think about it and taking some responsibility to kind of find some balance, mm. you know, that again, you know, technology is not the be all and all end all. It's not going to solve everything for me. You know, it was a, I was brilliant. Like I was just, I was watching something, watching something last week and, you know, big, you know, I'm a big fan. I was a big fan of the late Anthony Bourdain, right? Oh, loved him. Right. I mean, what a guy. What yeah. A guy. And he was talking about like exactly what we're sort of saying here, which is, you know, what we're being trained in is accepting mediocrity, mm. right? Because I can walk into a supermarket and I can buy a tomato any day of the week. Whereas, like, not so long ago, you had to wait for tomatoes to come into season, right? And you get the best, mm -hmm. right? That's gone, right? So it's like we're sort of trading, if you like, I would say sort of contentment, mm -hmm. if you like, in in kind of practicing, if you like, I guess what, what we're talking about is this stoicism, right? Like mm. that kind of idea of, of patience and, you know, towards, you know, what we're trying to achieve in the world around us and how we fit within that, right? To on demand, mm. you know, without any thought, you know, behind that. And I think, again, I think that's, that's, it takes us down a quite a dangerous path, you know, with, because what it's breeding is just a total lack of responsibility. Yeah, that's so right? interesting. That's and when you've got no responsibilities, then it starts to blur the lines between what's right or wrong, you know? And it's like, and then what creeps in is this kind of false sense of entitlement, mm. you know? And then you end up, like, not doing anything, blaming the world around us for everything that's wrong in your life. You're not taking responsibility for it. And I think, you know, that's a big driver for what we've talked about, which is the increase in mental health issues, increase in addiction issues, because... We're no longer functioning as we were designed as human beings. And we go looking for things to make us feel better, mm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. we're so desensitized by the world around us. Mm. And I think uh, in a world where we have less accountability and responsibility, we lack identity Yeah, agreed. as well. And when you lack identity, that's when you know the ego is so desperate to say, well, this is who I am, this is what mm -hmm. I'm about, that you're doing things that don't fit with your value system yeah. in order to feel like you are something and this is who I am, yeah. this is my place in society. Correct, yeah. I think I think it, a lot of people do get in trouble that way. And I think it's a lot of reasons why we have division is because when identity or when values are threatened, it means identity is threatened. Yeah. And identity death is the same as real death Yeah. for a lot of people. Um, super interesting. One thing that you mentioned, by the way, Anthony Bourdain, 
Love that. <laughs> I was actually trying to watch some of his old stuff the other day, and it's really difficult to find. There's some is, stuff on Netflix. There's some stuff on yeah. Netflix. Some stuff, but not as comprehensive. Other streaming like. services are available. Yeah, I, I've, <laughs> I've searched them. We'll have to we'll have to discuss after. So, how do people take back control of their lives? How do people start to bring in a sense of accountability, responsibility, and how do people? Because I think it's about self awareness. Yeah, it is. I yeah. think it's about self awareness because you've. I where I see people get in the most trouble psychologically and, and in terms of, of you know mental health issues is I think there's one thing about hiding things from others. There's a, a very, very different thing about hiding something from yourself mm. and not being able to be honest with yourself yeah. about your actions, about yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so how do people get back self-awareness and, and take back control? I think it starts, starts with kind of making a, de a decision for yourself. You know, it's, and, and I think, you know, if, if, if you talk to a lot of people and they're honest about it, I think there's a general sense of, you know, things not quite right. Mm. You know, and I think there's a lot, you know, a lot of people talk about having a sense of unhappiness is probably going a step too far. But I think it starts with making a decision for yourself that things are not quite right, you know. And, and then I think it's about finding your own, like I'm going to use the S word, but I think it's about, for me, it's sort of, it's finding your own version of spiritual, you know, some sort mm -hmm. of spiritual living or spiritual yeah. growth. Yeah. You know, and for me, that does mean getting back to being in touch with the world around me and actually trying to treat every living thing as an equal, which may sound a bit weird. No. But actually, you know, the more research that goes on, you know, it's like we don't, we really, really don't understand the natural world around mm. us. You know, we've been led by Western scientific thinking, which is very reductionist. You know, it's like if we just keep looking at things in a smaller, smaller, smaller way, then we can understand and unlock the entire universe. But actually, it's that's not true. You know, mm. what I see the world as being is is a is a very complex, self-organized system. You know, which is constantly trying to, if you like, negate the um, the effects of of the world around it in order to survive. You know, and 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 it and there is an, an inanimate intelligence within nature. And so it's like we're missing out on that. And so for me, you know, when I made a decision that I was going to change my life, you know, and I can, I'm happy to talk about that decision. Please, yeah. Why I got to that point is 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 to first and foremost decide that you know that that you know I'm I'm not the most I'm not the smartest thing on the planet, mm. right? There's other stuff going on here that I don't understand, and make a decision to try and get back in touch with that, you know, and it's and whatever that means for you. You know, but I think we need to find like like meaning and happiness within ourselves, you know, in order to counteract the pressures of, of, of modern living, you know, otherwise we just get swept away by it, mm. you know. Mm. And, um, you know, for me, it was, uh, there was a defining moment in my life with, um, you know, I had addiction problems with alcohol, you know, and I, I spent 30 years battling active alcohol addiction. And actually, under, when I finally got sober, what was underneath it all was exactly what we were talking about. There was a, a, a deep sense of disconnection mm. with the world around me, which drove a deep sense of my own, like, self-loathing. Mm. You know, I just wasn't happy with who I was because I had no connection to anything. Mm. You know, and you can talk about why that happened, why that didn't happen, you know, and what was missing in my formative years as I was trying to form that, that kind of bond, you know, with the world around me. The bottom line is, and this is where the responsibility comes from, it's like, I can't change that. Mm. I can't change my past. What I can change is what I do today and how I, how I treat myself and others as I move forward through the world and my life. 
you know, and it's like, so I made a conscious decision, you know, to change my life because I genuinely just wanted to be happy. And it was a really simple choice. It's like, stay unhappy and I'm, mm. I'm not being overdramatic or die because that's mm. the way I was heading, right? I was going to lose my life if I continued on that path or live. And because I wasn't living, I was existing. Mm. And so when you make a choice to live, fundamentally, you've got to, you've got to change what that means to you. You know, and very quickly I understood that if I didn't change the way I felt about myself because that destructive behaviour came from me not liking myself very much, mm. then I find, then I need to change my relationship with myself and the world around me. You know, and that's what I've spent, if you like, the last eleven years doing. Yeah. You know, and I read and I learn, and but every day what I do is I tell myself that I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, mm. right? Because I thought I was the smartest guy on the planet, and thinking I was the smartest guy on the planet might have brought me material success in my career. In fact, it was actively encouraged to be a narcissist, so I was really good at it. And that didn't help either, by the way, because you've got this kind of success on one side, yeah. and then you leave the office, and on the other side, I just wonder if I can kill myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what did they, what did they call it? It's like gold-plated piece of shit. Yeah. That's how I felt, right? You know, and it's like, just it's just not sustainable, mm. you know? And um, so, yeah, I kind of, you know, it was a reset for moment for me, and then I've used that as a basis, you know, to live my life differently. And actually, that doesn't mean that I can't be successful in a career. Mm. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, that I can't have and want, you know, nice things. But my motivation for having those things has completely changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's an amazing journey. And it must be so liberating when you yeah. make that decision yeah. to say, well, actually, I'm not going to let my past control my future anymore. That's exactly it, right? My past no longer defines my present. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I think this is it, right? And, and although, because uh, we've discussed this many times, right? Yeah. Although the... Um, specifics of what the impact on the formative years are is different for everyone we are all carrying those bruises from things that happened that we might not even remember from you know through younger than five years old Um, and we all have to um you know navigate the knock-on effects of that but once you have that self-awareness to say well look i'm not going to um be a victim to them anymore i'm going to take out control it's 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 a totally different world and it's difficult yeah of course it's difficult because you have a lifelong journey and you have to realize that that, that that's what's wrong in the first place Mm. and and often people just don't realize Mm. right they just there's this sense of not being whole there's this sense of black right and then we just cover it up with all these distractions yes and we live in a society which as you said really incentivizes us to have that disconnection yeah because once you are once you do have that connection it's very difficult to maintain the same profit motive yeah you know in the same way because once you have that full connection you realize how much more there is to the world and actually doing the faceless money making becomes very difficult yeah so we have a world which taps into the reward center of deprivation, which says actually happiness will come with the Ferrari, happiness will come with the villa. And many people spend 60, 70 years trying to, um, you know, get that. And then they have that realization Uh, that, you know, that rug pull of, oh, wait, that wasn't what I needed. (laughs) It was something totally different. I mean, mean, it's, it's, you know, I've been there, done it, Mm. right? I mean, it was like when I got my first bonus in the city, my first big bonus in the city, there's a there's a Porsche garage on on Stratford Road, mm-hmm. like, and I went down there. Strat, I think it's Stratstones or whatever it's called. Anyway, the Porsche dealership down there, and I and I and I because I said oh, I bought myself a brand new 911, mm-hmm. and I went to pick my brand new 911 up. And as I picked my brand new 911 up, there was a 911 turbo parked outside, a brand new one. And I was picking up a brand new 911, a car that costs more than a lot of people earn in a lifetime, mm-hmm. 
and I wasn't satisfied with my brand new 911 because there was a better one sitting at the front. Right? And it's like, it's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. It's just not sustainable. because That it was journey's always, not going to end. That, it, more, yeah. more, more, yeah. more, more, right? Too much is never And enough. we're just trying to fill that void, right? And actually, the solution to filling the void is, is, is becoming happy with yourself. Yes. You know, that's how we fill the void. If we're yeah. happy with, with ourselves, we become resilient to what's happening to us. And we stop, we stop, you know, being impacted, you know, so impacted, you know, by by what's happening around us, mm. you know. And and I think um, so many people I've spoken to have been on this journey, and, and things I've experienced myself is it tends to go, it, it's almost like the journey of life is initially outward mm. because we're trying to escape from what's inside. Yeah. It's then inwards, yeah. you know, to do the clearing up and to yeah. do the mopping up, and it's then outward again with a totally different perspective. Correct. And it's. Um, a re- it's an amazing journey, right? Everyone's got to go through it, I think. Yeah. And I think we all go through it, some just later than others. Yeah. And unfortunately for many people, I think it happens on the deathbed. Correct. You know, that, that yeah. final moment of introspection, realization that, oh shit, you yeah. know, I wish I'd done things differently. So I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give to everyone, don't speak on your behalf, is yeah. start that journey. Yeah. And again, and it's not being preachy either. No. Like, because I, I, I'm quite passionate about this. It's like, you know, we all deserve, like, happiness. Mm. Like, everybody. Like, we all deserve to be happy and content. You know, so it's, but you've got to earn it. And it comes back to what we were talking about, about responsibility, about how do we take responsibility? No one's fucking coming to do it for you, by the way. Mm. Right? Because the way you earn that self-esteem, where you earn that kind of value in yourself is by getting off your ass and doing it yourself. You know? And I had a situation with my daughter recently, you know, where, you know, she... You know, there was obviously she took the full brunt of, you know, my addiction. It, you know, it put a gap between us and we worked really hard to build it. Well, I've worked really hard to build that relationship back. And, you know, and I have a pretty decent relationship with my daughter today, which is lovely uh, and my son. But it hit Millie particularly hard. And, you know, and and then there was a messy divorce, you know, and then, you know, she just she came, went through. Um, she went through university, came out the other end of university, was in a relationship she didn't want to be in, you know, lost all of not in contact with her friends doing a job she didn't want to do and she in the end she broke and she phoned me and she said i'm stuck i don't know what to do and i was like i'll tell you what to do but i'm not going to do it for you mm. right and so it's like you need to tell the guy you're not interested anymore she said i can't do that i said yes you can i said there's a spare room here right and she t- that evening she told the guy mm. that she doesn't want to be with the guy anymore and she phoned me the next day and she said i feel better i was like really you know what i mean I it's like there yeah. you go and then, you know, she's got herself a new job, which she loves now. She's now living in London. She's got friends, but she's done it herself. It's amazing. She's done it herself with my support, but I haven't done it for her. And that's the key. Yes. You've got to, you can give the tools for resilience, but you can't give resilience. You can't teach it. And yes. You can't give it away, it right? Built. Well, you see, you can teach it, but I can't give my resilience to somebody You can else. teach the tools. Yeah. But you can't build the attribute. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's like a it's muscle. It's like anything, right? You want to exactly. get fit, go to the gym. Yeah. Like there's no pill on earth going to save you, mm. right? It might make you lose weight it might even make you gain muscle Mm -hmm. but you're going to know in your heart of heart you didn't do it Mm -hmm. absolutely and without the battle scars of the building it will eventually go correct it's like the people i I don't want to offend anyone people who are using as mpic right now for (laughs) example it's like yeah okay you're going to lose 10 percent of your body weight yeah sure but if you don't learn how to eat healthily if you don't know Exercise, whatever. There's no emotional attachment, right? There's no emotional attachment. So you've you've gone through that. You've got your end result, but because you didn't put the work in yourself, there's no emotional attachment to that outcome, Mm. Mm. right? Yes, exactly. It's the graph that goes. And it's the emotional attachment that will sustain that lifestyle change. Mm. Otherwise, it's just a fad. 
This is why those kind of heavy diets don't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Right, because they're punitive. They're not actually helping people. Mm. Right? Again, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. No, no, but, but the, you know when what you I mean? look it's into like the actual the, the neuroscience behind it, it's very, very clear is that when you restrict something and yeah. make it no-go... It's, it's a punishment. Uh, but also then... Um, uh, Breaking that, fulfilling it, becomes a reward center. Correct. And the dopamine payoff is huge. And in the world that we live in, where we are so dopamine addicted yep. because of our phones, because of everything else, having restriction is almost a, a guaranteed express way <laughs> to saying you're gonna you're gonna break this. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, you know, and the, again, the cynic in me will say that's exactly what the uh, what the industry wants. I, I would agree. I would tend to agree. Um, all right, Mark, there are five questions I ask every guest. <laughs> I mean, we could do this for hours. We, yeah, yeah, we've absolutely. done this for many hours <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. Our, in our time together. But um, so five questions, not quick fire or anything. Yeah. Um, what's the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome? Oh, blimey. What's the I feel like there's a few that we could go down here. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, what's the single big, biggest risk I've ever taken? Um, I think it's um, it was kind of like betting everything on on one particular job. So I kind of like at the beginning of my career, I just I just decided that, that I wanted to be in financial markets, and so I wasn't going to settle for like a mediocre trading operation. I wanted to work for the best. And so I left, uh, you know, I guess a very comfortable, interesting job. Like my background was astrophysics, right? So I used to build large-scale telescopes at Cambridge University. All incredibly, you know, incredibly interesting, and doesn't pay very well. And um, but yeah, I sort of, I just, I, you know, financial markets started to interest me, and 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 so the biggest, the biggest risk for me was like I was completely unprepared, I was completely inexperienced, but I just decided that that's where I should be if I'm going to make this a success. I need to work with the best people. Mm. If I'm going to learn, I need to work with the best people. So basically, you know, I was living up in Cambridge, had a young family, you know, and, and for me that was a sacrifice. You know, it might be not as big a sacrifice as some people make, you know, but that move, if you like, from provincial, comfortable, like interesting, mm. you know, to something, you know, which was completely alien to me, which was high pressure, you know, high expectation, physically, emotionally and mentally demanding mm. you know i wasn't prepared for it but i made a decision and i i kind of went for it you know and i i got the job you know and um there was a price to pay right and so if i look at if i look back on it now and say was the risk worth the reward like i think on balance it's made me the person i am today but the the if you like the the negative effects on maybe myself and the people around me, mm. you know, maybe was too much, you know. Mm. Although, you know, I get the feeling that it was at that time it was something you, you felt you had to do, right? Yeah, and I was very single-minded about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's I've always been very single-minded about mm. when I decide to do something, it gets done, you know, I'm going to do it, right? Mm. And um, by hook or by crook. Mm -hmm. The difference today is I'm very mindful about like how I go about achieving my because I'm still very like ambitious. Yeah, you know, at 55, I'm still really ambitious. Right, there's stuff I want to do. Right, mm. and it's like the difference today is I'm not prepared to step on people to do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas 
you know, in my early days, I was prepared to step on people to do it, mm-hmm. right? I'd just crawl over anybody. You know, there's a mountain of fucking skulls out there mm. that I climbed up. Do you know what I mean? To get to the just top. Just sleep with one eye open. Yeah, exactly. Wait, wait well, the trouble is, back. you know, when you climb that fucking mountain of skulls and you look down, you go, it's fucking lonely up here, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the sort of, I guess, maybe it's not risk-reward, but mm. certainly the, you know, the... I guess the input that was required, the, the sacrifice, I think, you know, required to get to where I got to mm-hmm. on balance, would I do it again? I'm not sure. Mm. I can't say yes or no, you know, because there are some, there were some upsides to it. Because like I say, it made me the person I am. Yeah, exactly. You know, I learned from that experience, you know, I ended up doing 23 years in financial markets and that was pretty brutal. Yeah. But not yeah. without its rewards. Not without its rewards. Not without its rewards. Yeah. All right, my next question for you yeah. is, what are you proudest of? Oh, my... Uh, <laughs> well, my sobriety, I guess, is the first thing, and then, you know, without a doubt, my kids. Mm. You know, I'm super proud of them. You know, they've come through... You know, a lot of people go through adversity, and I get that, but when it's personal to you, mm. you know, you know, my sobriety is very, very... I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of that. You know, it took... You know, not in an egotistical way, it took courage and resiliency to maintain that it has taken courage and, and resiliency to maintain that of course you know and um i'm super proud of you know of my kids and their resiliency you know under difficult conditions i know people there's plenty of people out there have it harder than my kids you know but it was personal for me mm. i saw them suffer do you know what i mean and now i see them grow you know and it's yeah, I get quite, I get quite yeah, emotional course, about it, you know, because, you know, they're turning into their own human beings and they're making their own choices. And, you know, I, th- I like to think that my legacy, if you like, is is how I act, mm. not what I say, you know, and a little bit has rubbed off on them. You know, the Millie story is an example. It's not, you know, I don't do it to be remembered. Mm. But let's, let's be honest about it. When I'm dust and my name is forgotten... I genuinely believe what lives on is that essence. The way I behave will get passed down. Yeah. Passed to my kids, passed to their kids, passed to their kids, passed to the kids. And again, so that's why it's so important, you know, what we do when we're alive, mm. you know, is, is practice some thought for others and the kind of, you know, and like the world we live in, you know, it's just so important for me, you know. A hundred percent is an amazing answer. And I think, you know, you're so right. Again, it goes back to the hard coding in DNA. Mm. You know, it literally will be hard coded. It will into, be hard coded. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and when you look at the, uh, you know, I can't remember the exact study, but the intergenerational impact of events mm. is massive, mm. you know, and, and it goes down and it goes down multiple generations yeah. from even to people who never met you. They'll yeah. still you know, feel the impact of the good and the bad. Yeah. I'm so, I mean, I, I, mean I, I feel a lot of gratitude, you know, for my life today. You know, I've been. I, gave, I was given a second chance. Mm. You know, and and like, how remiss of me would it be to fucking waste that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. All right, my next one for you is: What does it take to be successful? <sighs> oh dear. I, I mean, again, it depends on your definition of success, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, I think monet- Like, if we took let's let's take the the monetary success out of it, that's less important to me today. I think what success for me means. Um, you know, really, really kind of reaching, you know, reaching the levels of my potential and actually in returning that value in whatever I do, you know. So it's like if I'm doing something, I want to be like the best at it, right? Mm. Not in an egotistical way again, but if I'm going to do something, I want to be the best at it, right? And and so success for me is is being able to look myself in the eye every morning and say, I'm doing my fucking best, right? Irrespective of what's going on, good and bad, 
I've shown up today for myself and others and I've done my best. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. And uh, I, well, I think it's the discipline that is more important than motivation in terms of showing up every day. And how much do you think sobriety has, you know, pushed forward that you're going to show up every day and do it? Yeah, right. Without everyday battle, right? It's a structure. Yeah, I have, I have a very, very uh, like well-defined structure around me, both, Mm. you know, for my sobriety and and actually, it's leaked into my my life. You know, Mm. my work life, my personal life. It's like the way I go about my day is I try and optimize every fucking minute, mm. right? And I'm not, I was a workaholic. And actually, perversely, I was a workaholic but got nothing fucking done, right? <laughs> now I'm not a workaholic. I just use my time effectively and focus on the things that are important, you know? And that, some of that is business and some of that's personal, mm. right? And I think, again, trying to find a balance around that stuff is really important. Just like, I just try and do my best in every area, mm-hmm. right? And on top of that, the reason I can do that, by the way, is because I accept myself for a flawed, fallible human being who's going to make mistakes, right? I'm not going to get it right, but I'm, I've got that inner strength or that inner kind of, you know, confidence in myself that actually that no longer, I'm not buffeted by that kind of self-doubt or what other people think or what other people say anymore. Yeah, at amazing. All. Amazing. Know, I don't give a shit, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, to be honest, I think it's a, I think all roads eventually lead to that. Yeah, I think it's. I do think it's. You know, it's. What do they say? Yeah, youth is wasted. You know, ages. Whatever it is, wisdom's wasted on the youth, or whatever it is. It's oh, like oh, whatever it is, youth is wasted on the uh, on wisdom, whatever it is. But yeah, I think it's just it's something that you can't teach. It sort of comes with experience. You have to you have to kind of experience the good and the bad. Mm. And like I said to you, you know, and have that moment, come to that conclusion that you know that we're, you're deserving of happiness, and you're having observing. You know, and you're sorry, you're worthy of contentment, and so. And that's not going to come from the bottle of you know the bottom of a bottle of vodka or a fucking mm. line of Charlie or mm. or a new car or a new television. Yeah, those things are great, by the way. I'm I'm, I'm a technophobe, right? I love a flat screen telly, right? It's last night, but it's not what defines me. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. what makes me happy. Yes. right? Yeah. What makes me happy is sitting on the sofa next to my girlfriend having a cuddle, watching the big telly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think it's um, and it's always so good to speak to someone who's genuinely been on that journey yeah. in terms of you know being in the city in probably one of the best positions you can be in in the city and you know seen through the eye of the needle and say well actually there's nothing there when it's just when it's an end in itself yeah you know when it's when that is the goal when that is the only drive when that is the motive it's inevitably unfulfilling yeah and it's completely counterintuitive to to what we've been talking about as what you know what makes you know human beings happy mm. is because I'd arrive at my desk in the morning and my my motivation was to fucking kill the guy next to me and kill the guy next to me right <laughs> that was it and make a load of money it's it's very shallow yeah yeah, yeah. and I'm not saying the city shallow there's lots and I've got loads of really great friends and you know and actually you know I think finance gets a bad press by the way investment banking gets a bad press you know the bank you know the the, the sort of you know the banking crisis and all the rest of it and but actually fundamentally you know capitalism as a principle I'm a big supporter of it right yeah, ethical capitalism like that mechanism actually that a paradox yeah maybe but it's like but you get greed in in any yeah, yeah. any uh, uh, you know sort of like facet of business or any or, hierarchical structure yeah there we go have, that's the, that's know, the phrase i was yeah, looking yeah. for you know and so capitalism in itself as a mechanism in terms of like you know sort of the, mecha- the market mechanics actually worked really well mm. you know my job was to close you know, price discrepancies. The fact that I made a shitload of money out of it is kind of by the by, but the me- it's not the mechanism's fault, is it? It's the operator, right? 
So capitalism itself isn't bad, but people misuse it. Mm. Like, people misuse everything. Like ChatGPT. ChatGPT. Chat All right, my last question for you is 15-year-old Mark walks in the room right now. Oh. What are you going to tell him? Jeez. <laughs> Don't get a job in the city? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's funny, actually. I told my son that. You know, because my son's sort of very similar to me in terms of the way his brain works. Very logically, he's ended up in, in data science working for Disney and he absolutely loves it. And, um, you know, he was like, he wanted to go in the city. And I said, are you really sure about that? He did, hasn't ended up in the city. You know, what would, what would I tell 15-year-old um, self? I was, um, I was very unhappy as a 15-year-old, actually. Like, I really struggled with my teens. Um, constantly moved around, like, from my dad's work. Never fitted in. Yeah, I was a very unhappy teenager. And... Um, what I would tell my 15-year-old self is you're okay. Mm. You know, you're valued and you're loved, you know, and it's like, you know, just, it's just you'll be all right, yeah. you know? Because um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of self-doubt at that age. And I think, you know, that didn't help my situation as I grew into an adult either. But yeah, just, and actually I, I do, I do this stuff where actually, where I do these um, sort of visualizations in the morning. Mm. And part of that visualization is I talk to my younger self. And tell, tell my younger self that he's valued and he's loved. And, you know, it's very, very empowering. Yeah. And actually, you know, that, that little younger self of mine just, you know, wanders up the beach every morning as happy as Larry, you know. And, and that's that kind of, that's me, you know. Amazing. You know, walk up the beach happy as Larry. Amazing. Love it. Mark, thank you so much for sharing the story today. I really thank appreciate you. it. Where can people find you if you want to be found? <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, I guess. <laughs> I'm not really a social media person, so LinkedIn's probably the best place. Amazing. Mark, you're a legend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.